Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Today's guest is Louisa Peck. She was a party-chasing atheist who in 1982 experienced an NDE after a drug overdose. She initially ignored her NDE as a symptom of a dying brain, only later to embrace the spirit world after paranormal effects began to infiltrate her life. Louisa, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Well, thanks so much for having me, Jeff. All right. So let's get right to it. All right. Let's, I will. Let's start right on the day of um, your NDE. So you were partying and then you were in New York. Were I you at Manhattan. Were you at uh, Studio 54? I had been there, but this was at the Peppermint Lounge. Oh. Uh, it was 1982. I was 21 years old. And my goal in life is to be as cool as possible. So um, the basement floor of the Peppermint Lounge was New Wave. Went there with my date, and he was a Coke dealer. And I was an alcoholic, budding alcoholic addict. And uh, I just want to say I was I was very pretty and I was very vain and I was very insecure, things that a lot of young women are. And I, I was thought I knew everything. So um, we did all the cocaine he had. I was having a good time. I didn't want to come down. And so we started asking around in the club if we could get some more. And somebody pointed us to this guy and said he was selling so we bought from him and uh he kind of disappeared after he gave us the stuff we pulled our money um but what he sold us uh didn't get us high at all it was just doing nothing it had numbed our lips our gums i mean when we tested it so we had bought it but then it didn't get us high so my date said i'm not gonna do this and i just snorted the whole pile because that you know, maybe I'd get a little bit high was my thinking. And uh, so for many years, I thought I died from a cocaine overdose. But uh, later down the road, I got sober and became friends with a lot of former drug dealers. And they said, we used to cut cocaine with lidocaine in the 80s. And somebody sold you pure lidocaine if it wasn't getting you high. And uh, so I think that was the case. Lidocaine is, a gen- is an anesthetic, usually a topical anesthetic. But if you ingest it systemically, it shuts down your your nervous system. So um, the symptoms I noticed, I was I was in the bathroom and I started getting tunnel vision. I didn't know this was because my brain wasn't getting any oxygen. It seemed like I was looking through toilet paper tubes or something I could just see. And um, I just thought, because I was such a little twerp, I just thought, oh, cool. I'm getting tunnel vision. This must be some side effect of Coke I've never heard of. 
Mm. I'm down. Mm. So I was just hanging on for the ride. That was kind of my way of thinking. But then when I was in the stall, I couldn't read any of the graffiti at all. I realized something was wrong with my brain and I realized I couldn't catch my breath. So I went out, found my date, said there's no air in here. And it seemed to me because my heart is going down to 30 beats a minute, 20 beats a minute. It's just shutting down. So no matter how deeply I breathed, no blood would, no oxygen would get carried in my blood. So I'm breathing as hard as I can. I'm like, there's no air down here. There's no air. And he took me to the bar to get a glass of water. The bartender gave me uh, water. And what I wanted so much was air and light because the, the tunnels had started to close into complete darkness. I wanted air and light. And I touched the glass to my lips and it seemed to me that something struck me under the chin. I My very brief thought was that I had hit my chin on the bar, but it was like a getting fired out of a cannon or a Popeye punch. And I, I went straight up into the air and I had one brief thought. My NDE was pretty much uh, what you call um, amnesiac. And that was the same kind that um, even Alexander had. I had one brief thought of I am leaving behind all that nonsense. And all that nonsense was the island of Manhattan and my life is Louisa. I was just out of there and up into the sky. And it was a beautiful blue sky. And I had felt air. I felt breathing. I felt, I just felt not breathing, but I just felt wonderful. And uh, I realized that I was over the ocean and I had this funny thought that I was going to do a back bend and, and do a backward swan dive because I was a ballet dancer mm -hmm. in my real life. And I thought I can do this. And I did it. I did a back bend and I turned over and I dove and I'm like, yes, I did the back bend. Yes, I did the swan dive. And then I had a brief thought, like if I'm this high above the water and when I hit it, won't it be like concrete, but with no fear, just like, isn't that like concrete when you hit the water? <laughs> That's all I thought. And, uh, and so then I dove into it. And nothing was wrong. So I'm like, okay, cool. And then I was way down under the water with the bubbles going up around me. And I thought, hey, am I going to be able to reach the surface? But again, no, just amusement, if anything, no fear, just kind of curiosity and amusement. And I reached the surface and I saw the land, I saw the beach. And I wanted to be there. And next thing is I was wading out of the waves. It's sort of like there was no swim time. There was maybe a tiny bit, but, but you just get where you want to be because of course, none of this is physical. It's all, you know, a representation. So um, I was on the beach and I wish it were a beautiful sandy uh, tropical beach, but I'm from Seattle and I grew up in the Pacific Northwest. So this was a Pacific Northwest beach, with lots of rocks and barnacles and stuff like that. And I saw down the beach, a mesa that rose up like a sea stack. And on it, there was an old faded house and I wanted to be there. And so next thing I knew, I was not at the house. I was at the bottom of the mesa. And when I got close, I saw that all the rocks were covered with this repulsive, like rotten seaweed. I wasn't sure if it was like crap or just rotten putrid stuff, but it was really gross. But my desire to get to the house was enough that I had that same feeling I'd had with the back bend. I felt like I am strong and I can do this. So all of my insecurity that I felt as a 21-year-old 
all of my like self-consciousness and awkwardness and what am I supposed to do? I had none of that. I just was a, a, a creative, curious, powerful being. And so I'm like, I'm going to climb this. So I, I climbed it. When I got to the door sill, however, I had somehow lost my body. I, I don't recall how it happened, but I recall that I was a little frustrated when I finally reached the house that I was only at this level of the door sill. I could see the door sill very clearly. And I sort of like, I'm not going to let this stop me. And as I crossed that threshold over the door sill and into the old house, I knew that this was the way station or house my ancestors had all passed through when they were going between lives. And now it was my turn. And I felt this huge sense of honor that like, I am, now it is my turn. And, and I knew they could all witness me crossing. And um, you have to realize that as a 21 year old, and I grew up in an alcoholic home family where I had never even met my aunt or uncle or anyone. I had no sense of family. I had no sense of ancestors, nothing. But on the other side, it was so important to me. And I loved them all so much on the other side. I wanted to see them. And I had sense. I couldn't see anybody. But I had a sense of my grandfather on my father's side, who's the only one who died before I was born. And he was especially stoked that I was coming, that he was going to get to meet me. I felt him like, you know, just so excited for me. There was um, supposed to be a chair where you could sit and look out at the window. I knew this and it wasn't there. And I was kind of like, where's the chair where everybody sits and looks out at this big picture window that's looking out at the ocean? I want my turn to sit in the chair. And I was only this big and I kind of like Alice in Wonderland. I'm like, how am I going to see out the window? I want to see. And as soon as I have this feeling, I want to see something grabbed me. It, it felt like by the sternum, but I didn't really have a body, but it was the sense of if I did have a heart, if I did have a sternum, that would be what it pulled by. And I felt myself pulled across the floor and I had a lot of sense now of like, whoa, what is happening? And then I went up over and I thought oh my god what's happening and I went over the window and out and I was flying over the ocean and the sun was setting it was low and it's absolutely beautiful sunset and it was making a shimmering path across the water and I flew over the ocean over the path toward the sun it was so glorious and so beautiful and I felt so much love for nature now, I haven't told you this part, but as he said, I was an atheist, but my father had taught me, uh, good materialist that he was, uh, that the sun was the source of all life. So the sun was the source of my life. And uh, it was growing bigger and bigger. I had a thought, I can't forget this part. As I was flying, this is the first time I thought a little bit of my life back on earth. I thought, wait a minute people can't fly. I thought, am I dreaming? Is this real? And this is the first time my angel spoke to me ever. It said, more real than anything you've experienced. And I wasn't expecting an answer when I wondered. You know, you don't expect an answer when you wonder something. 
<laughs> but but it answered me more real than anything you've experienced. And I believed it. I was like, you're right. It is. And so then I started thinking, what's going on with the sun? It's getting bigger and bigger. Am I going to hit it? And I, again, I had no fear. I just wondered. And then I passed through like this filament of the sun into the core of the sun. And in the sun was the light. And the light was everywhere. I could not see anything except the brilliance of the light. But the, the joy and the bliss and the love, I, everybody, we can't describe it. I can't describe it. I had a sense of like, wow. Because all my life I've been starving for love. I've been starving for approval. That's why I was, you know, trying to go to the parties and make people like me, be cool. All I wanted to be loved. I didn't know that was what I wanted, but that's what I was starving for. And so in the light, all that was fulfilled and more, a million times more. And I sometimes compare it to if you're lying on the beach in the sun and you can feel it all over your body, the warmth of it. But this was a kind of a metaphysical equivalent of just joy and happiness filling my entire being. And I began to sense that I was being held by a parent figure, like a baby. I was being held like that. And the parent was pouring in, you are so loved, you are so loved. And I, I it was not like um, we do this for everybody. It was um, specific to me. It had known me since I was a baby and it loved me in that way. And and um, that I was, you know, perfect and and adorable and I just I wanted to stay in that state forever and then all of a sudden the parent goes just like parents do and said um you can't stay you're not done and I the light just vanished as soon as it said that this said this telepathically and very quickly you can't stay you're not done black lights out and the light was gone and I screamed no. And I had a feeling like I can even remember a little bit of being a very small little kid and feeling like I'm going to throw the biggest tantrum and I'm going to show this adult that they can't make me do this. Right. They can't make me go back. And so I, I, I wanted to like kick the, the parent in the shins. I just wanted this huge tantrum. And the parent answered one more and it was quite faint. And, and it was just like case closed and case closed. And then I had a brief moment of terror because I felt like I was falling and it was completely black. And that was not cool. Um, I think that was a teeny taste of what hell is. And so I was frightened and alone, but then I began to see these chalk figures that were doing these funny little acrobatics. It's hard to describe, but they were like chalk figures on a blackboard in the blackness, doing these little somersaults and swinging on swings and saying these little nursery rhymes. And I thought, okay, this is nowhere near as good as the light, but it's what the parent has given me to amuse me until the day I get to go back to the light, which is kind of a good metaphor for life. But then one of the plates, one of the circles filled in like a plate. It went from being a round chalk circle to being a plate and it started getting in my way. So I couldn't see what was going on. And it said, how many fingers, what is your name? And I realized, I remembered life 
And I realized I was back in what I call the meat puppet. Mm-hmm. And my dismay, my frustration, my sense of, no, this can't be, was so strong. I just, I was so bummed to be back in the body. And, and then he's, he's, he's asking me questions and, and I'm thinking the answer to him, but he can't read my thoughts. And I have to use this thing down here to like kind of burp out noises for this code that we have for saying things back and forth. But I did it. Um, I guess there's not much more to add about that, but I came to you on the floor. I had had a grand mal seizure um, and then my heart had stopped for three minutes. Mm-hmm. And the bartender, the same one who gave me the glass of water, had done CPR on me. This is like real mouth to mouth back then Mm -hmm. in 1982 for -hmm. for three minutes. And my date had actually told him to stop because he said I was completely gray and it just seemed there was no hope whatsoever. He just didn't want to have to look at me anymore. He wanted them to cover me up because it was so terrifying for him. But the bartender didn't stop. And then I breathed. And I sweated out a huge pool of sweat. My first thought when I became aware of my body was that someone had thrown a bucket of water on me because there was so much liquid all around me. And I have since thought if I ingested enough lidocaine to kill me, how did God get that out of me? How did I one minute die because my heart couldn't keep beating and the next minute wake up and I'm fine? So God either got it all out in the sweat or just said, hey, it's gone. I don't know. I don't know what, but it was gone. And um, I was okay. Um, we we got up and, you know, the whole crowd followed me. I was, a lot of gawkers followed me out onto the street. We were waiting for the ambulance. And I gradually figured out I was not. I, I was kind of like a five-year-old, but I said, what are we waiting for? My date said, we're waiting for an ambulance. I was like, okay. And then I was like, is it for me? And he was like, yes, you were dead. You were dead for a long time. And um, I said, I don't want to go to the hospital. And my date was a middle school teacher at a private school. And he had gotten in a little bit of cocaine trouble in college. And he so much did not want to go to the hospital and fill out a police report and say that he had given me lots of cocaine. So he just said, come on. And we jumped in a taxi and everybody chased after the taxi and hit all over it and said, but we said, drive, drive. And he, he drove and took us home. I have more memories, but I'm going to skip over my memories until uh, the next morning I came out. I told the story to my roommate and she asked me if the parent was God. And I just wasn't at that time, I just thought it was so cool that I had died. It was so cool that I had some brain damage. It was so cool that it happened at the Peppermint Lounge. And I just, I had no core. I had no real Louisa, you know? And so when she asked me, I went, yeah, it was God, <laughs> you know, and and just wasn't going to go there. And then I did have to go there. I went I remember being in our little bedroom. We had a little one-bedroom apartment for the two of us in um, Upper West Side. And, and I remember so clearly thinking, remembering when the voice said, more real than anything you've ever known. And how I had known that it was telling the truth. And how I knew it wasn't a dream. It was I knew it wasn't that. But 
if it was real, I'd have to change my whole, everything, everything. I mean, I was raised to be an atheist. I had written my thesis on the, the death of God at the end of, at the, at the turn of the 20th century in literature. I had, you know, argued so much with people and my whole shtick was that there is no point to life and that's why we party. And, and, and to have a core of goodness that was God and was love, I just, I just didn't. I didn't know how to be me and do that at the same time. I had also never heard of an NDE. I had never heard of the light. This was 1982. Moody came out in 1979. I'd never heard of it. And so I remember 2001, A Space Odyssey, when uh, I can't remember his name, but he's taking out the tubes from Hal's brain. And Hal eventually gets down to, can I sing you a song? First song I knew is Daisy. And he sings Daisy. And I decided that's what had happened to my brain, that as it had no oxygen, it had gotten simpler and simpler and simpler until all that was left was love. And then they brought me back. And um, so that was my story. And I was sticking to it. I ha it had to be brain death. It had to be, you know, something about a, a brain starved of oxygen because I couldn't be real, just couldn't. So I tried not to think about it. I shoved it aside. And uh, and then many, many paranormal things began to happen to me. I have a list of them. And uh, and I, I'll just tell you some of the best ones, okay? I have a few questions about okay. your NDE before we uh -huh. leave it. I just thought it was great that you said, there's no point to life, so that's why we party. <laughs> <laughs> like what a great way hey there's no point to life that's why we party <laughs> yeah, that's my belief, for sure uh-huh so i'm a little bit confused when did you realize when you were out of your body or perhaps dead because it seemed like you were when you just entered the door into the house but then it kind of I, would then it kind of seemed like when you got to the sun so at what point did you kind of figure out hey I i'm my grandma seizure began from the moment that I lost consciousness. And I'm not sure how long that lasted, but I had bruises all over the backs of my hands. Mm. So I think that was physically dead very soon. I mean, when did, I had, I'm sorry to interrupt, but why, I mean, when did you realize that you were possibly dead during your experience? Like, yeah. I'm, oh, you never thought you were dead ever. You just thought I'm well, in this weird I just dream. I forgot about this world okay uh, except for that little bit when i was saying it can't fly no the the new reality was so all-consuming that my old life and my identity at louise as louisa just kind of seemed like you know what did you have for breakfast two weeks ago thursday okay. like i just really didn't care about that what about the voice that was your angel that spoke to you was that a male or female neither and and it, I called it the parent for a long time, and I'm a feminist, and I wanted it to be a female. It was it was just a voice at at the time. I didn't really sense a gender on it. It's just it's just information, but it was powerful, mm -hmm. and it surprised me because I had not expected to be answered. I now know my voice, my guardian angel is definitely masculine. I so much wanted it to be female. I wanted a goddess. I wanted it to be feminist, you know, mother figure, la, la, la. No, it's a dude. I guess you can't choose. 
No, you can't choose. All right, let me ask you this. Since I've done many, many podcasts with NDE people, and recently I've only learned some more inside information. So from what I know, there are parts of people's NDE experience that they do not share with anybody, but maybe in other NDE people. If you feel up to it, is there something that you have never shared with anybody? And if you want to keep it private, that's okay. But something that no, you never I mean, shared with anybody except maybe another NDP person that would say, hey, did this happen to you? Yeah, it happened to me. That you're willing to share with us. I don't really have anything like that. You know, because because once I was in the sun, I couldn't see, you know, I, I was only the light. But there was a sense that that I that when I was held as a baby, I felt like, you're right, that's who I am. That's what I am. I'm just this little infant baby. Like that's how I felt. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I've since had my father come and speak to me after life and give me a similar message. I'll I'll talk about that more later if I get back. But that's all I can think of. So when you came back, it sounded like, you know, your roommate asked you if you were God and you kind of said, yes, you were, it was God, but it seemed like you said it in a way you didn't believe it. Do you believe? I didn't believe it. Plus, you, I mean, even today, I feel that what the one that was holding me was the voice. The one that was holding me was my guardian angel. Oh, I don't I, feel like I got very far. I really feel like I'm a garden variety alcoholic and I'm a garden variety NDEer. I, I don't feel like I got as to far. I've, I've heard NDEs where people have, you know, really gotten to source. You know, where they're talking to God. I didn't get that far. It, my angel called it pretty quick. Yeah. And thank God it did because my life was nothing up to that point. I had zero wisdom. I had done nothing mm-hmm. with the gift of life, you know, right. except show off in college. Right. All right. So you got back. You came I'm, back. I'm, you kind of. I'm going back to partying. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You got so back to partying. You jump ahead now. It's mm-hmm. it's 1987, and what's Louisa doing? She's an aerobics instructor right. in Brookline, Massachusetts, and she wears neon, and she's really sad she can't have big hair, and she, you know, is teaching the aerobics. And one of the aerobics instructors, actually, was the bookkeeper, but anyway, she had a house in Gloucester, invited us all out there to party. And um, I don't know. I mean, I guess this is... You guys don't care, but I was married. I was married, but I was madly in love with another female aerobics instructor. Okay. And she had a boyfriend there. I woke up early. I think it was Sunday morning. And I was so upset that she was with her boyfriend that I decided I was going to go for a walk on the ocean by myself at about 7 a.m. during a storm. So I grabbed some rain gear from the back hall everybody's asleep still and i go walking out on the beach at gloucester and i've gone quite a ways and there's no more houses and i see a figure come out of an area where there were no houses just swamps over the dunes and he's walking toward the ocean and i'm going this way and we're going to intersect at some point and uh, this is the era of madonna and everything vintage in school and he's got on this old vintage rain gear that i just think is the coolest he looks like 
Mr. Fish sticks. Mm -hmm. he's, he's got the hat, he's got the everything's yellow. And as I get closer, I can see it. It's like real old Macintosh rubber on cloth. It's it's not vinyl. And so I'm like, dude, I'm gonna ask this guy, where did you find this? Mm -hmm. But he's looking at the horizon like this. He's just looking at the horizon. You can't even see the horizon because it's a storm, but he looks incredibly upset. And I decide, okay, you're not going to ask about the stuff. But as we get closer, I can see the broken capillaries in his skin and he and knows I can tell that he drinks a lot. And he is still staring at the horizon. So I just passed right behind him and I said, how's it going? And I saw the eyeball move a tiny bit at the last minute, but that was it. I went about another 10 steps and I thought, what a jerk. Here we are in this horrible storm out in the the only people here and he's like too cool i i'm all about cool he's too cool to even say hi to me mm -hmm. i turn around like i'm going to give him a piece of my mind and there's nobody there so i think go through a whole lot of like what happened what happened did he run down and jump in the water i'll see his hat no hat did he run back up he was too old to run up that hill and then i'm going to find you a-hole i'm going to find you with your tracks so I go back and mine are the only tracks on the beach. And this was really, really hard for me. Um, it's as if like you took your coffee and you, you, you knocked it off the table. It just hung there in the air and didn't fall. And then you took it. And then you tried to tell people about it. My coffee just hung in the air and didn't like it physically could not be. And, and, uh, so, you know, I went back and, and my host at the house said, well, thousands of ships went down in Gloucester. I mean, there's thousands of names on the, the um, list in the waterfront of, of drowned sailors. And so she's like, you saw a ghost. And I just, I just, like, it was just like the coffee cup thing. I mean, there was no way to explain it. Couldn't, couldn't deal with it. And so, again, I just shoved that in the same vault where I had put the NDE. I'm just not going to think about it. So I can't go into a whole lot of story about, about this one, but it was um, in 1993. So that, that happened in uh, 1987, 1993. I just knew that my unborn nephew was going to die. And this is a very sore subject in our family, but I knew that my brother was going to plunge into a pit of pain and I the closer it got to the birth the more I knew this was going to happen to the point where the last time I saw him the day before the the baby you know died um I I stared at my steering wheel and I said what can I say to him what can I do and he was getting into his car next to me and I couldn't just get out of my car and like knock on his window and say your baby's gonna die I don't know why I don't know when I don't know how I just know it's gonna die you know and so when he called me the next day told me the baby had died um I felt two things I felt grief as an aunt and a sister but I also felt like this amazement that I had known. And it was almost like I had already seen myself getting the news and everything. I didn't know what to do with that. And I was so ashamed. I never thought I would ever tell anyone that. Um, but I still shoved it away. I'm an atheist. This stuff doesn't happen. Mm, something must be wrong with my brain. I don't know what, what, why these things are happening. So, so I guess 
I people, this one is important to tell uh, that uh, I hit bottom uh, in 1995. And about a month before I got sober, I drove home completely plowed and uh, going really, really fast. People had taken away my keys because I was falling down drunk and I had found them again and I couldn't find the ignition, but I eventually found it. And I, you know, and I drove 80 miles an hour and I was winding country roads. I lived in a log cabin out in the middle of unincorporated Thurston County. I was back on the West Coast. And I remember coming to this railroad crossing, I mean, bridge over the railroad and the road narrowed for that bridge and there were railroad reflector signs. And I remember I really wanted to die at that point. And so I just thought I was seeing like quadruple maybe even six, you know, I was just, there were so many and I really didn't know which was real, which was not. And I just felt like, I just, I don't care. And I went through and I didn't hit any. Got home, got out of the car in my driveway and I propped myself up. I was holding myself up with the door because I was too drunk to stand. And it's a beautiful starry night. And I was singing to myself, I am such a badass when I drive drunk. And, uh, Something shot from the stars, threw me into the ground. And what it was, was my angel bellowing at me, just bellowing through my vanity, through my drunkenness, through my just selfish shell. And it said, this is the last time I can help you. You do know right from wrong and you can do better. And I remember that so clearly. And I knew it was talking about the bridge. I knew. And I had, you ask, what have I never told before? I felt shame. I just, I knew it was true. I knew I was totally full of shit. I just knew that. And the weird thing is that memory is crystal clear. Driving through the railroad tracks is crystal clear. But when I woke up in the morning, like, I had left the milk out, spilled the oatmeal, done all these things in a blackout. I had no memory of after that. But spiritual memories are different than brain memories. So while my angel is with me, it's a whole different ballgame. So in any case, I, I got sober. There, there are more stories around that because I didn't. I almost relapsed when I was a week sober, but my uh, my angel stopped me. I, I want to... Um, jump ahead to this this story I have told but I it's I was still atheist when my sister was dying of cancer um in uh let's see was that 1997 yeah because I was two years sober it was I was two years sober 1997 so um my sister and I had had a difficult relationship um, and she, when she was getting close to death, had extended the olive branch and I was still too, I just didn't know how to do that. I was too used to being kind of afraid of her. She was a very intimidating person. So um, when she was dying though, she had told me before she uh entered the hospital that last time that she could hear everything even when she was on morphine and people thought she couldn't hear that she still heard she said i hear every word and then she had told my sister who was sitting up with her the night before she died 
or two nights, the day before, she had told my sister, um, dying of cancer at 41 is the biggest diss God can give you. That's what she had said. And she was a Catholic. And so I was sitting in her room and it was about four in the morning and something woke me and I began to feel like the light was coming in the window and pooling over her body as she lay in the hospital bed. Now they had told us she was going to live for two weeks. So I kept trying to dismiss this thought. But when I would close my eyes and try to sleep, as soon as I would shut down my rational thoughts, I would begin to get that sense again. And then here came the angel, here came the voice. And it's like, you need to help her cross. She's afraid. You need to tell her about the light. Now this didn't make any sense to me at the time, but I understand now that that fear is a barrier between us and God. Fear and anger are the biggest spiritual barriers there are. And that my sister's fear and her sense that God had dissed her were preventing the light, which was our ancestors. They wanted to take her. I could actually feel them kind of revving up to take her, but she wouldn't go because she was blocked by her fear and her pain. And I didn't know this at the time, but I knew I don't know. The angel was saying, you need to tell her about the light. And I sort of understood. I had to tell her so she wouldn't be afraid. So I went and I knelt down by her. And even though she was unresponsive, I just spoke into her ear. And I said, you know, you've lived a beautiful life and you've done this and done that. But your body doesn't work. And Jesus will take you to the light. And it will be all around you. And you'll be so warm. And you'll be filled with love like you can't imagine. It will be perfect. And um, I I finished. I sat down. And then 20 minutes later, she hemorrhaged and she died. And uh, I went into panic. Uh, the hemorrhaging was scary. And I ran around the hospital trying to find a nurse. And I could suck almost sort of feel her watching but I was so afraid I couldn't really I, I'm like I don't know what that other feeling is help her help her get a nurse get a doctor get somebody and um so then the nurse came and put a stethoscope on her I mean the doctor came put a stethoscope on her said um her heart's still beating but it'll stop when it runs out of oxygen and I just wanted to throttle this little doctor just grab her by her neck and just like i felt like why aren't you saving my sister and then my sister filled me with love and i knew she was there the anger was gone and i could perceive her floating above us, not see her, but just sense her. And I could feel how she loved me. She loved my brother. She loved the little doctor. She loved the nurse that had called her by the wrong name. She loved all of us. And she she began to know I could hear her. She began to, because she, 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 she could pick up that I was able to hear. I don't know how. And, and she said, I'm wonderful. I'm wonderful. But there is one thing you need to do. And she told me that I needed to find her youngest and tell him because nobody was going to tell him. I'm like, I don't know what to tell him. She didn't. She said, I'll tell you then. So they, uh, 
I had to keep the smile off my face. You know, I mean, I, she was filled me with the light so that I felt this sense of love again. Like I can't even describe. I felt so happy for her that she was in the light. And um, then everybody's crying and everything. And I'm just like, she is so happy. You guys can't say it. Got to hide it. And got to hide it from myself, my atheist self, too, because what I began to be like is like a split personality. There was the part of me that knew this was real and this was happening. And then there was the part of me later it was like, you must have been really carried away with emotion. That can't have been. But I'll tell you, my atheist was having a pretty hard time there. It was starting to get weaker. But I I did find her, her, uh, her two-year-old and he had been left out of everything. And I I told him what she told me to tell him, which was just that she she loved him so much, but that her body didn't work and she had to go to heaven and she would always love him. And um, and and as I was speaking the words that she was telling me, I've had this feeling a number of other times, too, and I'm sure other indie ears know it. There is a sense that you are doing right. Like it when they give you information and you and you channel what they want you to say, it it just feels so right. Um, so that was another thing. And, and I didn't really try and shove that away, but I was sure never going to tell anyone about it because I felt kind of em- embarrassed of it. Um, this is the one people ask me, what do you mean paranormal event? This is the story I always tell. I was driving home at night and I came to an intersection and uh, it was like 11 o'clock at night. So there was nobody around and uh, the light turned green and a voice in the car said, don't go. And I heard it like not words, but it, I heard it really clearly. Don't go. And I'm like, well, that's stupid. The light's green. I'm going to go. It comes again. Don't go. And so I look in the rear view, there's no behind me and I, no one behind me. So I go, okay, fine. I won't go. I'll just sit here at this green light, you know, (laughs) and then I I feel ridiculous. And so I say, how long don't go? And right then a car comes down Fairview going a hundred miles an hour, faster than I have ever seen a car go and uh, silent, just, 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 went through and I sat there and my heart started to pound and then I started to hear sirens and that's the first time I spoke back I said thank you and 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 now we got a two-way dialogue going (laughs) and it's getting harder and harder to be an atheist do you have any questions that you want to ask or I, I mean I have lots more stories to tell you know, I was just wrapped up in your stories that I th- I think I had one, but I just, I, that happens to me sometimes that when okay. I'm just, when right. I'm, well, that's I'm, good. I'm telling a good story if that happens. I forget right, my I questions. Want to tell, the, tell the story that, of what made me go to Ions because this is a hilarious one. So I, I, I knew that I couldn't be the only person that this happened to. And I heard on NPR at some point I'm going to say maybe uh, 2007 or no, it might have been a little later. Anyway, I heard some interview on on NPR um, with, oh, what is his name that that wrote the evidence of the afterlife? I'm spacing on his name, but I perked up when I heard that. 
and I heard about something called ions, but I was just like, those people are going to be weirdos. And if I go there, I'm going to turn into a weirdo and I'm going to start talking about paranormal stuff. And I just, I'm not a weirdo. Can't do it. Not going to do it. I'm an English teacher. Not going to do it. And um, so then I went to uh, Home Depot and in the parking lot, I thought, Oh, I bet my friend Joel goes to Home Depot a lot. He's a carpenter. I really like Joel. And then I thought, I really like his wife, too. His wife, Wiley. They're just really cool people. And then I thought, I bet they still have a really hot sex life. I bet sometimes they send the little girls to grandma's and it is just hot. And then I saw Wiley. Sorry, I shouldn't say her name. I saw naked. Maybe you can bleep that out. I saw her on a four-poster bed naked with her hair all down, like I had never seen it, and doing this like real sexy look. And I'm like, oh my God, what is wrong with me? Like, I can't believe I'm thinking this. <laughs> I felt really embarrassed at myself. And uh, and then I go into Home Depot. And, and the cool thing is I went the wrong way first. I was looking for some particular thing and I went down the wrong aisle. You know how long those things are before I realized, oh no, it's the other side of the store. So I come back. And if I had not taken that detour, I would not have been walking across where the registers are when Joel came the other way and we met. And so I go, hey, Joel, I was just uh, thinking about you. (laughs) I felt really embarrassed. And um, I said, how are things? And he said, oh, my gosh. Wiley and I, we just sent the girls to grandmother's house. We got a bed and breakfast. And uh, it was much needed. (laughs) And I did not say at the time, like, yeah, who knew that your wife was so hot? Like I did, (laughs) but I had read his mind across the parking lot. He was pulling into the space. He was thinking about his wife. He was musing about it. I'm on the other side of the parking lot. Somehow I pick it up. And um, when I got home, I was just like on the computer, like I am like, I just wanted to, as I can't be. And I had a vague sense that it came from the NDE, but no one had explained any of these things to me. I just knew that, that the weird things had not been happening before I had the NDE. And um, by that time, of course, uh, I was fully ready to, to uh, embrace whatever I am today. (laughs) And when I went to IONS, I want to say the first time I went to an AA meeting, I just heard that person say something. I thought I was the only one that person say a feeling. I thought no one else felt that way. Like just this intense identification and relief that I wasn't the only one. And when I went to Seattle IONS and Kim said, memories from near death experiences do not fade. I was like, no wonder I still could remember it so clearly. And then, she, you know, she said paranormal after effects, like knowing the future, reading thoughts, hearing voices. And um, yeah. Can you show the picture real quick? Do you have that? So I can tell that story. The ones with you and the orb? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll just note to add that when we do the okay, editing. I'll just tell that story. Okay, great. Okay. So this is going to be 2013. Uh And I was turning 18 years sober and I had planned a huge party. I did one every year for my sobriety birthday. A ton of friends of AA celebrate my birthday. And I found out about a week before that I had breast cancer. Not as bad as my sister's, not as 
aggressive as my sisters, but I had it too. And, uh, and I found out that I was going to have a lumpectomy rather than a mastectomy. And I went on Facebook and I changed the name of the party to 18 years and I get to keep my boob party. And a lot of people knew that I had uh, breast cancer, but the Oddly enough, the surgery date fell on my AA birthday, which is January 29th. I don't know why, but that's just how it went. Um, so all these people came to my house. They put a great big poster up about, you know, Louisa beat cancer. We love you. Everybody signed it. And I actually, there were, I mean, they weren't all there at once, but 80 people came and went from my house. And in this little room where I am, there were like 20 people playing Cards Against Humanity up here, which was all the rage back in 2013. Mm. And downstairs, they had a big cake for me. And I don't know, there's 30 people in my tiny little living room. And they were singing Happy Birthday to me. And I looked out at this sea of faces, all singing, all looking at me. And I had a thought because I had published my addiction memoir the year before, and my siblings have been very hurt by the depiction of alcoholism in our family. And they said, you are a narcissist. That's why you wrote this book. They, they just didn't understand what the AA story of is like. So in my mind was their voices. And I thought, they're right. I'm a narcissist. That's why I invite all these people so I can be the center of attention. I felt really ashamed. I felt really embarrassed. And my angel came to me and said, said, just let them love you. It's the whole point of life. And I heard him and I was like, okay, I'll do it. And I, I just turned and I just thought of it that way. I'm going to let them love me. They have something to give me and it's good for them and it's good for me, you know. And boy, through that whole cancer experience, I was just so supported. I mean, uh, one guy who had texted me when he was having some kind of nervous breakdown and I had driven out to his house and when I my hair was all wonky and I took him to a... Uh, mental health clinic. He's the guy that drove me to the hospital. I don't know how many times that guy's been in prison, but he drove me to the hospital at six in the morning, you know, and then other people from AA, you know, came and sat with me, were there for me after surgery, picked me up with pho, brought me home. People were babysitting my son. People had filled the fridge with like, people wanted to love me. They wanted to love me. And the angel had taught me that sometimes Letting people do that is your your job. Hmm. So, I just want to note that in this picture we have of you, that's you and the orb is the angel next to you, correct? Yes. And I did have a sense of it speaking from my left, even though it's telepathy. And it's on my left. And it really, so the, when you show the pictures, I want people to note that one is my camera, which a friend took the picture with, so I was able to get it directly. The other one is a second later, and it's taken from a different angle with a different camera. I took it off of Facebook, and the orb is visible in both pictures. And it has these features of circles inside it that are perhaps smaller orbs. Like You can't quite tell, but it, it has rotated. It has the same features in the other picture, 
you're not going to be able to get that level of detail. But when you look at it really closely, you can see that the same features on it have rotated like craters on the moon or something is what it's like. And they've moved to a slightly different position as it, he's taken off. He came, he told me what he had to tell me and he took off. And he's helped me many times. He, he, I, I, I guess I can't tell all the stories, but right. there's a lot of them. <laughs> do you feel or do you have like a longing for the sun? I don't know what we want to call that place, but do you ever have like a homesick feeling or a longing for the light for the light or loneliness in your life for that? I feel very confident that I'm going back there. And, um, it's sort of like when I meditate or the time that my father came and spoke to me, it was a little bit like when my sister spoke to me, they bring some light with them and I feel it again. Mm. And, um, you know, it's a little bit like why do people uh, do heroin, you know, because they, they get a kind of a facsimile of that feeling. But I don't feel like that so much. I mean, life is hard. I honestly feel like to be put in a body, to be a spirit put in a body is a really heavy task. It is difficult. And I still think about that moment when I was back in my body and I was like, oh my God, I have to make burpy noises to communicate. It's so lonely being in a body. And I think that that the when we are in our spirit form, we, we are not alone. I mean, even before I entered the house of the ancestors, that was the first time I began to feel that I was with people. But there's no loneliness. Like, because there's no fear, there's no anxiety, there's no, I, I was just perfect. So that I, I wish that I was not burdened by, you know, here in the pandemic, my son's at college, I don't have a partner, I'm alone in the house all the time, and I'll get lonely. And, and what I do when I meditate is I think of all the other lonely people out there. Mm-hmm. And I think we are lonely. It's not just me. Mm-hmm. And, and that comforts me. But I do feel that that being a human individual is a, is a lonely experience. At the beginning of our podcast, when we were talking about your party days, you had mentioned that, I believe you mentioned actually, that you were vain and insecure, I believe at the same time, and you never, and you wanted to be cool. You weren't cool enough, right? Did that go away? Did the, did the NDE change that for you? No. No. Okay. So here's, I mean, my the voice did. The, the voice, voice did. Okay. So so, I told you there was another time when I almost relapsed. I was going to go to a vodka slamming party when I was one week sober and not drink, and I had gotten all this near beer and stuff and left the gate to my log cabin open, and my dog ran out and was killed. Mm. And she was hit by a dirt truck and I was kneeling with her body and her blood was on the pavement and angel came again and kind of shoved my face in my sight into the blood and said, this is you. I said, life is physical accidents 
car accidents happen, your blood is going to be on the pavement. And then it kind of showed me this Pied Piper of coolness. Like the coolness was a Pied Piper and it was leading me saying, you're almost cool, you're almost cool, you're almost cool. And it was going to lead me to death. And at that moment, I had to choose, am I going to be, in my mind, corny and square and humble? Or am I going to follow that Pied Piper to death? And I chose then over my dog's dead body. I chose, I will be humble. And I will try to live for what's right instead of what's self-glorifying. That's this long lesson. It's taking me a long time. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm 60 years old and I'm still learning it. And AA is basically cliff notes. I mean, the whole thing about AA is that we are happiest when we are being of service to others. And I truly believe that. And part of the reason I do this interview is because I feel like our world is people are dying from lack of spiritual life you know they kind of got this like i can believe this religion stuff or life is pointless and that's why we party like just, you know what i mean like and 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 who can believe the religion now in 2021 you can't but just because religion is a very primitive human story version of the spirit world i feel like we have to know the spirit world is there. We have to know that goodness is the point of everything and, the, and that love is the power that runs the universe. And, you know, materialist science is really kind of killing us. It's killing us all. And my angel often just tells me, you have to write your, finish your book. I'm writing a second book, you know, do my little part as a little ant carrying one crumb that is going to help tip the scales for when humanity finally gets it. Like, yeah, God is real. God is real. And the responsibility, the onus of every human being to contribute to love and good and helping each other is real. So I live for that now. I think you made an amazing point. This is the first time I've ever heard anybody articulate it like you just did when science and technology has brought us to a level where most people don't really believe in religion anymore. And people are, you know, I don't know what the numbers are, but a lot of people are becoming athe atheists. But then that doesn't work either. And people need spirituality and, and God. How many people are on antidepressants? Yeah. What is the proportion? You know, for my age group, I think it's more than 50%. Wow. That's interesting. So many un unhappy people. Mm -hmm. I guess we got to create a new religion to, pre to bring people back. Well, I don't think it should be a religion. I know. I, I'm just joking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Religion is a little fish, fish bubble. We got to be in the ocean. Yeah. Right. There was a meme... And I believe my wife showed it to me the other day. And it's funny that you just, maybe you saw it. But I it, saw it. There was something I like a fish it. in a bowl. Yeah. I wish uh -huh. I remembered that. But yeah, that's so great. Yeah. All right. Well, let me switch gears on you. Uh, you have a blog. Yes. And uh, can you tell us about all your social media stuff and how to find you online? Yeah. You betcha. So, um my the the book that I have out now is called you know a spiritual evolution how fourteen uh, after effects of a near death experience helped cure my addictions and change my life. Don't buy it. 
unless you are interested in alcoholism, because the book is 90% about alcoholism. It's a really good book if you're interested in alcoholism. It's I told the story. You won't believe how honest I am. You talk about being honest, Jeff. Whoa, this book is honest. So a lot of real embarrassing stuff in there. But anyway, and not like you're thinking, not glamorously. Anyway, um, I have that. Uh, and I'm writing a new one that's going to be called Die Hard Atheist. And I'm working on that now. And then I have a blog that mixes uh, AA 12-step principles with near-death experience principles because really the messages that come back from the other side are very much aligned with what we learned through the 12 steps. So it's called also a spiritualevolution.net. And then I have um, some videos. Most of my videos on my YouTube though are I do mountain climbing. And so <laughs> um, it's, it's, uh, but there is one that's really uh, kind of cool. I mean, I, I also had a, a miraculous experience on the trail when my knee gave out and instead of using my beacon, um, I turned to a tree and asked it to pray for me. And it told me, you've got to pray for yourself. Mm. It's all, I mean, I tell about it in this YouTube video and I ended up praying and getting the information I needed for how to cure my knee. Mm. Um, so that's about it. What, yeah. What's the name of your YouTube channel? Just, I don't have a name. <laughs> it's just Louisa. Oh, yeah. It's got to be something. We got to, you know. Do, I, do you, I have to have a name? YouTube requires you to make a channel name, so it's got to be something. Dude, I don't know the name of it. It's probably Louisa Peck, I'm guessing. Yeah, it might be Louisa P. I'm not sure. Louisa Peck or Louisa P. Something like that. I don't uh, know. Um, do you have any projects that you're working on that you want us to know about? Just, just that other book that I'm that I'm writing, and I, I, I write the newsletter for Seattle Irons, uh, and we're trying to make it an e-version right now. It's just on paper, and uh, I write that. Uh, I interview Andy Ears and and write the, write the, two thousand word version of their story. Hmm. Well, um, if you don't mind, could you? put in your newsletter that I'm always looking for guests. So if anybody yeah. would like to be a guest on my podcast and share their story to, to contact me. Sure. Uh, yeah, I'll pass the word along. That'd be amazing. All right. Well, before we wrap it up, can you give us one last message? Those weird things that happen to you that you can't explain. Uh, when you know a friend is going to call and then they call, when you think of someone you haven't thought of for a long time and then you see them, you can shove those in a box and you can say they don't mean anything, it's coincidence, but there are no coincidences, <laughs> you know, I mean, there is purpose to our life, there is some kind of orchestration going on and and really I think once you have that perspective, you know that every obstacle you encounter is an opportunity for you to love more, to grow more, to, to um, I don't know, move away from being selfish and afraid and towards being loving and compassionate. So, I mean, you don't have to have an NDE to know there's more to life than materialist science does. <laughs> 
That's what I want to say. Thank you. <laughs> and thank you for joining me and sharing your story. I really appreciate it, Louisa. All right. Thanks for having me, Jeff. All right. I wish you massive success in all that you do and have a great evening. And uh, hopefully I will see you again. Okay. Sounds good. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.